In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back, guys. Uh, this is Corey. Corey and I got to know each other through Lego Masters. And uh, I know for those that are listening, uh, Lego Masters, you may or may not, is a probably a number one show on Fox and it's now in its fourth season. It's developing for its fourth season. It's actually international. Uh, Corey and I have talked many times at different conventions, different shows. And what I love most about Corey is the family story behind everything. I know he's passionate. I know he loves his family. I know he's had a newborn this year. I know he's gone through a lot of changes. So I'm actually really excited to kind of hear the behind the scenes story story rather than the out front story that we often hear. And again, like I said at the very beginning in the introduction for everything here, we want to hear the true narratives. And the true narratives sometimes are hard to hear. Sometimes we hear about challenges. We hear about things that we would rather not hear about. But this is what it is. We want to be able to leave an impact. We want to go forward and find ways to grow, to have encouragement. So welcome, Corey, man. I'm really, really thankful. You are actually our first recording. So I'll put that out there like, hey, we're going to make some mistakes, but we're going to do this here. It's going to be awesome. Listen, that that is the best way to do it. You can't make an omelet without cracking a few eggs. <laughs> we're, gonna, um, we're definitely going to be breaking some eggs. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Good to be here. So, yeah, so let's just start at, and we just for the sake of where we're at, I mean, we're basically going to look at this in three sections. The first one is basic, your basic world, world belief as, as you were growing up, kind of like, you know, I wanted to be a cowboy when I grew up. So what did you want to be when you grew up? What were those things? What were those ideas? That would be our first one. And then what was the catalyst? What was the change that kind of adjusted your world belief to reality? And then what are you doing to continue to grow? So let's start with who was Corey as a child? <laughs> <laughs> Corey, as a child, was a very animated child. So I got my start in elementary school with drawing. I used to doodle a lot in mm. class. So teachers would always complain to my parents, Corey's a good student. You know, he, he does his homework. He does his work. But he's very talkative. And he's very <laughs> doodling. That was, those were the two things. Yeah. Very talkative, always doodling. So my parents, they 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 didn't have they didn't really know how to cultivate that because back in the early 90s, you know, they, you know, you didn't really have a lot of tools. And where I grew up, I grew up in the inner city. So we didn't have a lot of tools. We didn't have yeah. after school classes. We didn't have workshops. We didn't have people come in and and try to better us because, you know, we were just we were the inner city kids. So they introduced a program called Magnet and Magnet is basically art music and intellectually gifted so the, the the kids who fall in that category they would literally take them from different schools and bring them into a new school mm. so my art teacher saw that i was talented in drawing because whatever project i would do uh, i would excel in it and she said well we have an opportunity for Corey. we can send him to a different school now my school at the time right around the corner from where I live. This other school, straight across the, straight across town. 
So my parents had to make a little bit of a sacrifice to yeah. drop school and pick me up because they knew that they w- I wouldn't have any opportunity where I was. But if I was to get into this program, that can open up doors for me. So I ended up doing that. And at the time, I really wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be like Picasso, Monet. I, I wanted to be big like that. You know, I, I didn't too care about being a doctor, being a police officer, being a, uh, you know, a teacher. I, I didn't care about any of those things. I thought those jobs were boring. I wanted to do something. <laughs> right? yeah. One of my favorite artists is John Singer Sargent. Very, not, not a famous artist, but I loved his impressionist and how he did surrealism. And I, and I wanted to be that type of artist. But, you know, as I got older, and I realized the the hurdles that I would have, because at the time, I didn't really see any hurdles because everybody was like me. And then I ended up going to a new school where everybody wasn't like me. And mm. I was then the minority in, in the real sense. Where I was, I was the majority. It was mostly Black kids where I was in the few other races. Total flip when I got to high school. So, you know, I, I man, I, I could go on for days. Well, let, let's focus on yeah. this, because this is the really the, the crux of the point, And this is what forms our belief. And I love that you brought that out. Um, so yeah. you're taken out of a, what I would classify as like your comfort zone, your box. And all of a sudden, especially as an impressionable kid, uh, you're thrown into a whole new situation where it's not the way it was. What changed in your mind and your thinking? Like, what was the here's what I mean by that is what was the belief that you formed when you stepped into a new environment? Uh, the belief I, w- I formed is the same belief my parents instilled in me from the very beginning. So my mother would always tell me, because of who you are and the way you look, you got to work double. You have to work twice as hard. And she would say that for anything that I do. She said, because if you walk down the street, Corey, you already classify as three things, a thief, uh, a swindler, or a killer. That's that's the mentality my mother put in my mind. Now, granted, I, I never hung out like that. I never did any bad things. I was a good kid. But my mom wanted to constantly put that in my mind that wherever you go, you have to work twice as hard. You cannot rest on your laurels, so to speak. So when I got into this new school, I realized that, you know, I could be classified as this with the rest of the kids that look like me, or I could show that I, I have potential to be more than that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get go for showing my potential. So going into an environment, it, it did prepare me for life, but it, it helped me to, to realize that I have a lot of skills. I have a lot of talent and, you know, nothing's going to be given to me. I have to work hard for it. And I was prepared to do so. So being in a new environment, it, it pretty much helped me um, solidify what my mother would teach me over the years, that I have to work twice as hard. and I. I enjoyed that type of challenge because I don't want anything handed to me. Yeah, man, there's a lot that we could unpack in that because there's <laughs> there's so much there. I mean, like I, I can just kind of hear it in your voice that there's a lot of probably good stories. If you were to pick out one and let me be I try to put this in a question as far as like a leading type question. If you were to put, pick out one, because here's what I know. When we form a belief, we look for things that justify that belief, right? That's the way our brains work. So if you were to pick out one thing, one circumstance, one situation, what was it that really cemented that into your mind saying, yes, this is the way it is because my mom said that it was this way? What was that situation that kind of just implanted that belief system there? I would say that it happened in my senior year of high school. 
there was a there was a contest that was countywide. So all the schools in the county was going for this this one, you know, first prize. And, you know, I was I, I said I wanted to try to go for it, but I didn't really I didn't really think I would be able to do it because there's just other people who are way better than me, in my opinion. But my my uh, my art teacher, Miss Campanelli, I will never forget her. She told me because I told her my story. I told her what my you know how I how I got my upbringing and everything. She said, um, she said, you know, Corey, you know, you you are very gifted and you're very talented. But if you keep if you keep uh, standing in your own way, you'll never see your talent bloom. You'll never see your you, you reach your potential because you're standing in your own way. And when she told me that, I said, all right, I'll, I'll put my I'll put my best foot forward. And I did it. I ended up winning the contest. You know, got a it, it wasn't much. We had like a U.S. savings bond or something like that. But it, for me, it was it was knowing that I, I went up against my peers and I was able yeah. to to showcase like, oh, wow, I, I, I really do have a lot of talent. I really do have skill. And that solidified everything for me. And that was what I needed to prepare me for the real world, you know, once I got out of high school. So that was, that was memorable. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're looking at that. What, Cause obviously coming out of high school, you're not quite an adult. Uh, I mean, we like to think we are, but we're not quite, uh, you know, and so you've got kind of what I, I would classify as those college years, you know, any day, any time anymore, not everybody's going to college. So I'm just, you know, kind of putting that general out there between 18, let's say 25 ish. It's mm-hmm. kind of our learning phase of life. Did all of the things that you were learning and, and finding in high school, did that kind of transfer into those early 20s? Or are you still like, did you make a shift or a transition coming right out of high school? Made a total shift. So as much as I got a lot of lessons in high school, life hit me hard because I wanted to go to college. I did everything. I, I, I filled out my, uh, you know, essays and all that stuff, sent it out. I didn't get accepted to any colleges that I wanted to get accepted to. I, I, I got a bunch of letters that said, you're you're a great student. You you know you have great grades, but you know go to a county college first and then come into the university. So that really deterred me from college. So I ended up going to a trade school instead. I wanted to get into business. I wanted to do business business administration. So I ended up going to a business school, and then I ended up working at the same time because I still come from a family of workers. My mother worked, yeah. my father worked. So you know I knew that once I'm out of high school, I gotta go. I gotta go work. You know, I I can go to school and work at the same time. So that was my mentality. So I uh, went to the trade school. Long story short, I wasted about a year and a half of my time there. I didn't get what I was looking for. And I ended up spending more money going to a trade school as opposed to just going to a two-year college and then transferring to a university. Mm-hmm. So I learned that lesson the hard way. However, it did help me when I when it came to business as far as what I wanted to do in the world of business. So I said, okay, well, you know, I can't work at my current job. So I ended up getting a new job that I was at for about 11 years. And I said, okay, well, I want to just work. I'll go back to school later. So I ended up going back to school like around 20, 2008. So I, I got out of high school 20, uh, 2003. So I took about five years off so I can just work and know what I want to do. Because I, I, I have so many friends who went to college don't know what they wanted to do, wasted four years of their lives, don't even do what they went to school for. So I said, I, I don't want to do that. I want to know what I want to do before I go back to school. But art was still always always still a passion. So, you know, I ended up still going to school for art, but I wanted to m- merge that into business. Yeah. 
like many of us, we don't really know what we want to do when we're 19 and 20. <laughs> we're kind of like, we have yeah. these dreams of what we think we're going to happen. We have certain expectations. And then as we get older, we realize I had no clue. So kind of transferring into, was there a, a specific point in time in your young adult life mm -hmm. that your world was basically just rocked? In other words, it just, man, this, this was the kind of the thing, you know, that really changed my worldview or really changed the way that I see myself and where I find my value. Was there things like that that happened through your life when you hit that early adult stage that basically were just like, holy mackerel, I didn't expect things to be like this? Yes. However, that kind of started in my early teens. So where I lived with my parents, like I transferred after my freshman year, I transferred to a school where my sister lived. My sister lived in a, in a more rural uh, neighborhood, mixed, mixed cultures. Where I was before was predominantly Black. As much as I tried to stay away from gang violence, I was always somehow around it because of the people I hung out with, the people who I was family with. So I I, I got my, my first exposure to that life of you know, guns and drugs and all that stuff, not partaking in any of it, but being around it and seeing it with my own two eyes. So moving to a new area, I thought I was safe from all of that, but I wasn't. So the town that I lived in, I would say they were very, they were very harsh. They were very hard on, on African-Americans because there was a reputation already out there. So there were times that me and my friends would be walking home, minding our business, and the cops will pull us over, have us sit on the on the curb, hands behind our backs and everything. No handcuffs and everything. But they're like, hey, somebody broke into a house and we're just interviewing whoever. So I had my exposure to that. Then I started driving and I used to get pulled over a lot. Most of the times it was my fault because when I first <laughs> got my license, I was a speed demon. I was speeding. I was, you know, yeah. I was breaking all types of rules. But, you know. Whenever I would try to be safe and I get pulled over, you know, I'll get the same question. Do you have anything in the trunk? Do you have any weapons on you? And I'm just sitting there and I have my glasses on. I'm, I'm in a shirt and tie. And I'm just like, wow, like, like, these are the things I don't do. I stay away from and I'm still being profiled as that. So that kind of opened my eyes to the reality of, of the area that I, that I lived in. And I knew that, okay, well, you know, I, I know that I can showcase myself to be an adult, follow the instructions, follow the rules and, and be and be able to work with the police officers when it comes to stuff like this. And as a result, I was able to, you know, cultivate a good relationship with police officers whenever they pulled me over, you know, being able to speak with them, show that respect, and then they would show the respect back to me, you know, but that took time to get to that level. Yeah, it was mainly around my 16, when I was 16, when I got that first exposure to, oh, wow, this is how life could be or life won't be. I don't know. Yeah, it's so different. I mean, we're talking back in the 90s compared to our day and age now. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have recorders. We didn't have any mm -hmm. of the things. And I was actually talking to my buddy earlier, and we were talking about the different times we've been pulled over. You know, and I, I, I'm not trying to, anyway, we'll just, the point is, in any position, there's always people that abuse the power. And it's always amazing to me the, how we get in those situations and we believe that one individual is representative of the entire line. And right. it's so, it's such a, I mean, my, 
my heart's bleeding right now just because of the way you're talking. And I'm just like, man, that's that's so different than how I was raised and how I was taught to believe things. And I'm like, man, I, I, you and I could have been brothers back then. <laughs> I mean, because we just didn't know the difference in skin color or anything else. We were just, I, I played ball and I was the only white guy on the court. <laughs> I was yeah. literally the only guy. Okay, let's let's focus on this part of it because there's definitely a, a challenge there. And like I said earlier to you before pre-interview is the fact that a lot of times we look at that and we think that we're the only ones going through that. So what was your thoughts and and where were your, where were you at when you were kind of going through that? Did you believe that you were the only one? Did you struggle with the fact of being alone? Like how, obviously we didn't have social media then. So how did you handle, how did you work through some of those things? Honestly, I didn't, I didn't think I was alone in any of that. You know, my sister, I have three older sisters. So I would say my middle eldest sister, she was she was very, very adamant about me knowing my history and mm. me knowing, you know, the history of, of where my family come from, our family, the history in America, and the history of the world. So my sister spent time to teach me history and not just, uh, you know, the historical facts of how Blacks were treated in America, but how Blacks were treated in other countries like Africa. Yeah. You know? So she made sure that I had a worldview of everything. And she taught me these at a young age. So as I as I was getting older, yes, I, I I knew that I wasn't alone because I remember Rodney King. I, I remember that moment. I remember O.J. Simpson. I remember that moment, you know, and how the world, you know, was dealing with that. I remember and my father. He's um, he's from Jamaica, and he he would teach me a lot of lessons. Have have me, you know, talk to me about a lot of things. And you know, he was the type of guy that can be friends with everybody, and that was his mentality. Like. He, he doesn't see anybody as his enemy. Even if someone is taking advantage of him, he would say, well, you know what? God will deal with you when he deals with you. I'm going to deal with you the way that I have to deal with you. And that is to show you, you know, kindness. That was my dad, you know? So I, I took a lot of his lessons and I applied it to my life as well. So it, though I didn't see myself as being alone, but I also didn't see people of authority as my enemy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I didn't really, I didn't see that growing up. And even as, you know, becoming an adult, I still don't see that. Yeah. What would you say is the greatest challenge that you've, you've really faced in that, that time period? Like what was the thing that you would say kind of shifted or or really made it most impact? The job that I had for 11 years, people were telling me that I need to leave the job, hmm. like got too much potential. You, you, you're very smart. You, you could be, you could be a director, you could be something else, but I, I, I I'm very loyal. So I'm very loyal to a brand. So that's the brand that I've been uh, associated with for so many years. That's where my loyalty is. So I worked hard to try to get into a big, uh, a higher position. I met with directors, sat down for lunch, you know, did all the steps I had to take, you know, went to school, got degrees and everything like that while working there. I said, well, wh- what do I need to get to the next level? You know, what do I, I right now I'm at that glass ceiling. I want to get to the next level. I want to be a director. I want to be, you know, a supervisor. You know, I want to, I want that. I want more responsibility. What I was an analyst and I'm like, I'm doing my job better than anyone who's ever, who who could do my job. I I want something more. And I remember my director was telling me what I need to do. Start taking some online courses, become Microsoft efficient, all that stuff. Did all that. So I was doing everything I needed to do to get to that next level. And then corporate America. (laughs) <laughs> you know, there was no, there was no next level for me. 
they they sat the literally the next week after having that meeting with the director and my mind was was feeling good next week they sat me down they said hey we're outsourcing the department that oh. you're in. we're sending all we're sending all the the business overseas to india oh. you have a Dude, i know that feeling Ooh. Yeah. severance package for you you could you could leave and not come back you could work until the end of the month up to you so I worked. At least you got a severance package. I mean, I didn't even get that. That was just like, you're done. Day over. You're it, man. You're gone. So, I mean. <laughs> everything. I, I look at that as everything was for a reason. Yeah. It's like, that hurt. That hurt a lot. And I went I went to work the rest of the time. The last day I wore a tuxedo to, to work as my last day at work. Well, that takes some guts, dude. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was like, dude, you're, you're, you're different, man, because... Why would you even come back to work? Why would you even be here? Why do you have a smile on your face? I'm like, if I don't smile, I'm gonna cry, you know, because I, I gave this job my all, you know, and, and to to give something my all. I think that was for me, that was like that was the hardest hit I've ever had as an adult. Was um, it a hit? Was let me just really dig into that just for one one second. Sure. Was it a hit because of how much you associated your value to that job? Yes. Isn't yes. that incredible? I I I worked harder than anyone at that job. I, I didn't I didn't sleep with anybody to get ahead. I didn't suck up to anybody to get ahead. Yeah. I worked hard. You know, I, I had a position where I created an incentives position to in, to do uh employee morale. So I would design games. I designed a giant monopoly game, printed it out on a giant printing paper. Like people, we would literally play Monopoly at work. And it was to encourage morale, give away prizes, and also reinforce what learning and development was teaching us through the game. And I I remember staying at the job three o'clock in the morning, putting these things together. Nobody Mm -hmm. helping me. So I poured a lot of me into this job. I lost relationships because of this job because I was just giving too much of myself to the job. And, you know, to be told, you know, and I even said, hey, listen, I'll take a pay cut. I I won't take the severance. You could put me in a different position. You could transfer me to another department. You know, I'm willing to stay here and work. And they were just like, nope, we can't we can't afford you. Mm -hmm. We can't pay your salary, even if we cut it short. Like, we just can't. And that that hurt. I remember that Monday. Next week, that Monday, I was sitting on the couch. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. How did you shift it? Like, because obviously, I mean, like you just said, your value was associated with the job. What did you do to, to and I'm going to say, I'm going to use the words, how did you pull yourself out of it? But we all know that it's not just you pulling out. There's a lot of other people that help and a right. lot of things. So what what are the things now that you do want to really establish your value as, as Corey, not as the worker, not as the Lego master, but Corey, what do you do to establish your value there? And then how do you maintain and how do you grow now, especially with all of those experiences and lessons that you've learned? My my wife told me, because I, I brought the information and news to her. She said, um, how much is your severance going to be? I looked at it. I did the math. I said, you know, we, we could we could live off the severance for quite some time. She said, take a year off. Don't mm-hmm. go to work. Don't don't think about going back to work. Just take a year off. And she said, just discover who Corey is. That's so awesome. the way you just the way you you verbalized it. That's the way she said it. Figure out who Corey is. You have your degrees. 
do you want to get back into art? Do you want to go back into the workforce? I said, I don't want to work at corporate America ever again. <laughs> so that was that was my mentality in my mind. I don't want to work for corporate America again. I, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to do a job that's going to make a difference. And that's what I wanted to do. So I, I took the time off. I, I took some online courses. I got into broadcasting. So I started doing a, uh, I started doing a devotional broadcast in the mornings, like 5 a.m. in the mornings uh, from 5 to 7. I was doing that for about a half a year. And I really enjoyed doing that because I, I was always able to teach in my church, you know, like just be able to read the, a verse and just kind of expand on it and just talk about it and everything like that. So I was able to do the same thing. So I was doing that for a little bit. And then fast forward, year is up. Now I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Me and my wife, we went away to Greece. Uh, well, we went to Europe, I would say. Um, but we was in Greece and I, I saw Greece for the first time. One of the we were in Athens and I was just like, you know, I was, I'm a big history buff in school. So I wanted to see everything. But when I saw how run down and rugged the place is, I was like, man, this is sad. Um, I said, man, I, I really want to do something that makes a difference. That's what I really wanted. That just kind of solidified it for me. That's Got awesome. back, went online, found, I, I typed in uh, teaching and I typed in Lego. I don't know why I did those two combinations. But the first thing that came up with a Lego STEM educator, I was like, you know what? I can get back into teaching. I That's think that would be something I want to do. And then we're dealing with Lego. And I, I started getting back into Lego around that time. So I said, oh, I get back into something that I like doing now. Makes sense. So that kind of that set me on the course that I am now. You know, and that was about how do you maintain it now? How do you maintain your your growth? Um, one not going back to corporate America. That's the first part. So that's always the motivation for me. <laughs> Honestly, you know, Lego Masters really was that platform, you know, because um, I always say to myself, if if my, se my season was about three years ago now, if my season was three years ago and people are still reaching out to me to do events and do other things, it must be something I'm doing that's right. And that that gives me the, the motivation and, and it solidifies for me what I'm doing is right. But then it's also you know, how do I separate, how do I separate myself from other people who do what I do in my area, you know, yeah. outside of me being on Lego masters, what makes my program unique? So I'm always sitting around, like looking at the drawing boards, like, all right, how do I make this unique? How do I switch this up? Who can I talk to for advice such as yourself? Who can I, you know, pull information from to make my program different? And that, and that's what I've been doing this entire time. And all that is stemming from my experience in the workforce, my experience in high school, my experience in college, yeah. you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, nobody's going to pay me for doing nothing. I ha I have to showcase one. I'm the best in, in the industry of what I do Two, your students and your school will be different after I leave. And three, I'm me. You know, like, <laughs> I think that's what I love most about you is you're you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word, I'm I'm me. Like there, yeah. like you're only going to get this experience from Corey Samuels. You know, yeah. so those those are the things that I keep in my mind when it comes to how I how I do business and how I maintain you know what I'm doing now. So yeah. So first of all, I want to really thank you for sharing, and I know obviously because I know you. There's so much more that you could share. So this yeah. is just like a dial down snippet of it. If somebody wants to reach out to you or talk to you, what is the best way to get in contact or to learn more about 
the Corey. <laughs> <laughs> Best way to get in contact with me is uh, check out my website, Sam's Brego, S-A-M-Z-B-R-E-G-O.com. You can always follow me on Instagram, which is the same name, Sam's Brego, where you can send me a DM. Or if you're traditional, you want to send me an email, Corey at samsbrego.com. I, I wish we had another 15 minutes, 20 minutes, because I'd love to hear more. But um, like I said, I really appreciate you. And that, the thing that I really keyed in on is the fact that coming out of all of the chaos that you've come out of, you came back to the fact you want to leave an impact. And how are you doing that? And you're doing that through teaching and through the Lego STEM classes. And I know you do a lot of other things, but the core value there, the core thing is how are you leaving an impact on the people that you come in contact? And Corey, you've impacted me. You'll impact everybody that listens. So again, I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm thankful that you were willing and able to take the time. Is there any last minute parting thoughts that you want to share? Leave your footprints in the sand. Even though the sand will shift, leave your footprints in the sand. So if everything you do, you leave a footprint, you've made a difference. Mic drop moment, man. Thanks. All right. We'll see you guys later. Uh, Tune in. Make sure you subscribe. Listen up because there's a lot more stories to come. We'll see you guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.